All right. Hello, everybody. How's Logan doing? Good to see you guys. Um, I'm super excited to uh, be here with you guys. Uh, I don't know if you can see behind me. With if it's really small, I'm not sure what you're seeing. But um, behind me, I am sitting in my house right now, and this is my B.J. Palmer Green Book collection. So I don't know if you all can see that or not, but uh, I have all 39 volumes and special signed editions, etc. And I don't know if you can see this, I'm gonna pick up over here, but that is a 1920 chiropractic table. Um, here's the story on how uh, we, we got that table. Uh, one of my patients, her husband was a chiropractor and uh, he unfortunately passed away kind of young and um, I was adjusting her and she said, do you want to come over and get a high-low table for free? All you have to do is just, you have to get a pickup truck and bring it, you know, bring it to your home or your office. I said, absolutely. So um, we went to, uh, to visit her house and we went into the basement uh, and we saw this high-low table and I'm going to show it to you a little bit closer now. Uh, I don't know if you can see it, but it's, this, it's, it's a huge steel uh, mechanisms underneath it and stuff and there's nothing plugged in so I asked her um, where's the outlet how does it plug in and she said dear this is 1920 this is before they had plug-in ones this is spring-loaded so this is a very very rare old chiropractic table before they actually had um, you know high lows that would go up and down like you know the ones we have now uh, electri electrically, this is actually a spring-loaded uh, table. Um, and now before I start sharing, I, I have a great, um, I know this isn't green, um, this is a red book, but this is this is D.D. Palmer's book published after he passed away that almost nobody has ever even heard of called The Chiropractor. It was published in 1914. Um, and uh, I wanna share something uh, about it uh, with you guys. But before I do that, uh, I've never, had a chance to do this. Um, do you have something you guys want to ask me? Do you have any questions for me? Any uh, questions about practice, about green books, about philosophy, about kids, uh, anything? Because I would love to, I'd love to tailor this to you guys versus just me talking, if you're interested. If, if not, that's fine. I got plenty of stuff to talk about. Anybody got any questions? All right, one question in the back. Yeah, I can hear you. That's a great question. Um, and what's your name? Nick. Thank you, Nick. So that's a great question, Nick. Um, I, I think philosophy is everything. Uh, it, it doesn't underlie it or overlie it, it kind of it pervades everything you know, that we do. Um, I don't think I, I have made a decision since getting involved in chiropractic that didn't involve something that my wife and I kind of fell in love with when we heard about it. It was from another green book, one of them back over here. Um, and it's called, 
GFC philosophy. Have you ever heard of that, GFC philosophy? GFC philosophy is God family chiropractic. And what one of uh, BJ Palmer's colleagues uh, wrote about in one of the green books was uh, <clears throat> he has this hierarchy of thinking. So everything that he does, anytime there's a question of something, they always put it to the test of, is it okay with all three of those pieces? God, family, and chiropractic. And if it's not okay with God, family, and chiropractic, then it doesn't get done. So, uh, and to me, that whole thing is all about philosophy. So, you know, we have lived, my wife and I and my family um, and my practice, we have lived a philosophical life. Uh, so I think everything that we do, whether it's in the office or it's here in my home, like how many people's homes have a whole shelf of green books? And this is an adjusting room in my home that's like the showcase. My front door is right there. So the first thing that happens when people walk in is they see this. Um, and I love that uh, because I want that to be the center of everything. So, you know, chiropractic and its philosophy has really been the, the centerpiece of everything that we've done. Um, and is what I feel has driven a successful practice and a great life for, you know, for this year be my 30th year uh, in practice. Good question, Nick. Did that answer it? Awesome. Uh, anybody else have any questions? Yes. That's a great question. Michael, right? Is it Michael? Okay. So um, when I first graduated, <clears throat> I was very into being a sports chiropractor, uh, which I still think is a great, you know, uh, discipline within chiropractic. But I was so involved in hockey. Um, I know you guys have the St. Louis Blues and stuff. I was so involved in hockey, especially with the Islanders. Uh, that I wanted to be the Islanders chiropractor. That was my goal, to be the Islanders, New York Islanders chiropractor. Um, and I tried for three, four years to really get involved with sports and got, got my CCSP, my Certified Chiropractic Sports uh, Practitioner uh, certification. And uh, <clears throat> it, things were going good, but they weren't headed in the direction that I really thought I wanted to go in. And... Um, Dr. Webster, Dr. Larry Webster, who's the founder of the ICPA, the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association that I speak for, um, he approached me in, early on in my practice and he said, Drew, I think that sports is great, but I think pediatrics is special. And I really think that you need to get more involved in, in, in pediatrics. And he kind of swayed my thought process. So to answer your question, Michael, what was it like? It was instantaneous. Uh, it really wasn't like I had to transition something and slowly shift it from one thing to another. It really became like I just jumped right in and it was sort of amazing. Very shortly thereafter, um, we, were, we were always doing spinal screenings and stuff. Very shortly thereafter, we had like probably the biggest spinal screening we'd ever done. We had over 60 new patients come in uh, and then all their families, you know, started coming in. So it really just, it just kind of catapulted uh, things and I think that's an important thing to understand is that um, success it takes time like there's a lot of work that you have to put into success but once you get the ball rolling it happens like this 
So when someone becomes an overnight success, quote unquote, it's not really overnight. They've worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked, but it's finally paid off. And I think that's how it works in almost anything. Uh, you know, just like when you're taking board exams and OSCE exams and your finals and stuff, you work and work and work and work and work all quarter and you take one exam and you're done and you got it, right? It works the same kind of way, but you have to prepare, right? You have to be ready for it. The, one of my favorite sayings is, uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. You know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So you've got to prepare and work yourselves really, really hard and then the opportunity unfolds itself. Make sense? Good, good question. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Hi, Mark. It's a great question, uh, Mark. What do you mean by approach? Uh, you broke up with that. What do you mean by the word approach? Um, you know, I know you obviously have to treat each individual individually, but is there a, a good foundation of where you start to, to help them overcome issues they're dealing with? Okay, great, great. So um, one thing I would recommend uh, very highly is to... Uh, Go to the ICPA seminar that I, uh, uh, I do. Uh, I was going to come to uh, uh, St. Louis uh, back in uh, a couple weeks ago in January, and you guys uh, got some massive snowstorm, so uh, we did not come. Uh, and plus, we had a family issue going on at the same time. But I'll be back uh, to the St. Louis area in July. Um, the, that's the crux of what I teach uh, for the ICPA is how to take care of these special needs kids from start to finish, from your first visit all the way through, you know, how to do, you know, your exam, how to do your consultation, how to look at them, you know, from a neurological point of view, how to adjust them because they need different kinds of adjustments, uh, how to take care of them nutritionally because they have a lot of nutritional needs. Um, but I think the key, the key thing is that uh, it's a, we approach them in a very gentle and loving way because these kids have been, they've been traumatized, right? The, the, the world we live in is very traumatic for these kids. Like if you look overhead in your, in your classroom, you have overhead lights. They're probably buzzing, right? You probably don't listen to them usually. Um, but if you take a second right now and think about the fluorescents that are over your head, you're probably going to hear, and I'm going to quite be quiet for a second, you're probably going to hear them right? The, the heating or the air conditioning unit is going on in the background. It's this low, low hum, right? Hum like this. So you have this squeaky fluorescent lights and this hum of the air conditioners. You've got to understand that these kids are coming into you and they're defensive. They're already on the defense because you and I, we have this ability to block that stuff out, right? Imagine if you didn't. Imagine if, as I was talking right now, instead of hearing my voice, all you heard was like that, if that's all you heard, you'd be pretty defensive because you're wondering where that's coming from. And a lot of the children, especially on the spectrum or kids with learning disorders, um, and even some kids with ADHD, a lot of them have, they're very sensitive in very unusual areas, right? Um, a lot of them have uh, some middle ear, their middle ear comprehension is very different than ours. They may pay attention to lower, deeper sounding voices and deeper sounding sounds than a human voice. 
So that's why what we find is what a lot of these kids uh, on the spectrum, especially the more lower functioning ones, um, if you don't like adjust them in a private room with no other noise and no other distractions, because uh, we have a big open adjusting area, but we don't adjust those kids in that area. We take them into the private rooms to adjust them there because otherwise they're, they're like a sensory overload and they can't sit still. And a lot of times the moms will, will be like, well, I don't know how you can adjust my kid. He's not going to be able to sit still. I'm like, don't worry. Once we get, you know, figure out what's, go, what's the, the way to approach your child, we're going to be able to do it. And it's just a matter of time where once we get to know the kid and what they're okay with, we can figure out, like there's one kid yesterday. We tried to get him into the back room. He was not interested. You know what he was interested in playing with? We have these cars, like this little like matchbox car garage thing that you put a car on the top and then it goes down like this. That's what he wanted to play with. So he went like kicking and screaming uh, going into the private room. We brought that in and he was totally fine. Right? And then I was able to adjust him. He was seated on mom's lap. I was able to adjust him using bioenergetic synchronization, using network, using sustained contact, a lot of the things that I'll teach at the ICPA seminar. And he was totally fine. And now we wrote down in our, in our notes, likes to get adjusted playing with this particular toy. So every time he's here, I'll use that toy. And if that toy wears out, we'll find another thing you know, to distract him. And that's the key. We just have to, we have to get into their world, right? And when we get into their world, then they're totally fine with being adjusted. But it's a matter of not trying to force our thoughts. Like you lie down on this table in this fashion to get this adjustment. You may need to modify things based upon how that child wants to interact with the world. Make sense, Mark? You're welcome. Any other questions? Anybody else? Well, cool. That was good. That was really good. All right. So let me talk to you guys about Dee Dee Palmer's work in 1914. And he brings up a very interesting word that I'm, I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of. I haven't heard this word used much in chiropractic circles, um, but I think I'm going to start talking more about it. So um, once again, this is the 1914 version of the chiropractor by D.D. Palmer. It was published posthumously after his death. <clears throat> um, the amount of tension in the body depends upon the relative position of the osseous frame, the neuroskeleton, the skeleton of vertebratas. The neuroskeleton, when in normal position, is a protector of the nervous system, but a nerve disturber when not properly placed. Pressure on any portion of the nerve system, the brain, the spinal cord, the ganglionic chains or nerves, increases or impairs its capacity of carrying impulses, causing too much or not enough functionating. So there are two really cool words here. One that I especially like, but two really cool words here that I don't know, have you guys ever heard of the term neuroskeleton? You ever heard that before? No, yeah, that's not a common term. Why not? Why not? Isn't that something that we deal with every day when we're adjusting someone is the neuroskeleton? And I love this idea because I don't know if you ever listen to my podcast, you know, I have the ChiroCast podcast. Um, so uh, a lot of times I will mention how I think it's so important that chiropractic, when we explain this to patients, we don't explain that we are bone doctors. We explain that we're nerve system doctors. 
right? So that when we're working on a person, we're working on their, I, especially with kids, I say we're working on the child's brain, nerve system, through the spine. But I really love the term neuroskeleton because that kind of puts it all together. You know, and I pulled this bookshelf, this off my bookshelf over here this morning, not knowing what exactly I was going to talk about, but this is brilliant because it really segues into everything that I talk about. How we are not back doctors, right? We're not spine doctors. We're nerve system doctors. Our job is not to make someone feel better. It's to make their nerve system work better, right? We happen to use the spine as a conduit, as a place that I'm touching to help bring that neuroskeleton into better positioning. And I love this other word here, which I haven't heard in a long time that Didi Palmer used, called functionating. So it's not functioning, right? It's functionating, which I think is a very clever terminology and the way to put together words because what that's talking about is it's taken like the word functioning and it's kind of expanding it to make it very specific for chiropractic, very specific for how are we impacting the nerve system. So when someone talks to you and they say, you know, chiropractic is really a back doctor. We're really a back specialist. We really should pigeonhole ourselves into taking care of back pain. You know, this whole oxytocin thing, you know, I mean, oxycontin thing that we're working with, with all the opioids and stuff that everybody's talking about, you know, we should be the leaders in getting people off of opioids. Yes, I agree. But the problem is not, the, op the opioid problem isn't the opioid problem. The opioid problem is there because we have a neuroskeleton that isn't working. Right? So when we want to talk to people about this, we want them to understand that there's a, there's a problem with, I love that, there's a problem with their neuroskeleton and it's not functioning right. And it sounds like these weird kind of words, but if we really put it together, that's exactly what we do. You know, he further goes on to say, biology is the science of life. Life is intelligent action, movements guided by intelligence. Life exists because of resistance and elasticity of tissue. These conditions not only permit and make it possible to receive, but actually create a response to an impulse. Impulses are thoughts in transmission over the nerve system. So what is a, an, a nerve impulse is somehow, it's, 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 a, it's a thought, whether it is it's a thought that you actually think or it's a thought that's produced because of, of, a, of a stimuli. But what we're trying to do when we're working with these people is we're trying to get their life back, their life energy back, their life impulses back. And in my opinion, if we're using the term neuroskeleton, we can, we can kind of focus our attention and our function to get them to understand that the, the skeleton isn't separate, right? If you, how many people have read the book Anatomy Trains? Have you seen the book Anatomy Trains? Really? Okay, one person. All right, excellent. Uh, so it's probably in your library, somewhere in the Logan Library. If not, I would rec highly recommend getting this book, uh, The Anatomy Trains. Um, it's actually written by a, a, a massage therapist but it's an amazing book because what he talks about is that the, the whole system of the body, like we think of it very compartmentalized. Like when we study uh, anatomy, we study the nerve system, then we study the muscles, and we study the brain, and we study the, the organs, and everything is all these compartmentalized things. It's even just the muscles. When we're studying a muscle, here's the bicep, right? So here's my bicep, and the bicep is as if it's this cut out piece over here, and it doesn't have any other interaction except for doing this. But that's, 
if you really think about it, the, the way the body works, it's all together, right? So it's not like the muscle over here doesn't connect to the muscles over here or the muscles in the shoulder or the, or the pecs, or, and it doesn't mean that the biceps aren't separate from the nerves that go through it or the blood vessel that goes through it. And it doesn't mean that the bicep is, has nothing to do with an organ, right? Because things, you, you can get referred pains. You know, people who have, let's say, liver issues, liver issue, you'll have a pain in your right shoulder, right? A heart issue, you'll have pain in your left shoulder. So it's all, it's all connected, right? So for us to think about something as, you know, here's the muscle and here's an organ and here's this, you know, the blood vessels and stuff like when, when you go to, you, you think about those different things, you realize that that's not, it's not an accurate portrayal of what's really going on. What's really accurate, especially, and I really love the whole idea of neuroskeleton from D.D. Palmer and the whole idea from anatomy trains is, is we're all one contiguous unit. Like everything from our, they're a fascia. What, what these, the guys did in, in neuro, uh, in, the, in the anatomy trains is they've dissected fascia from the big toe all the way up to the face and in one long contiguous piece. So the, so the anatomy trains people they are very hell-bent into saying that the fascia is the key to the body. I would like to say that it's the neuroskeleton that's the key to the body. The nerve system is what really controls everything. The fascia may contain everything. There might be fascia, you know, all the muscles and all the organs and everything is kind of contained in this bag or these multiple bags of fascia. But what's really happening is the nerve system. Like if you think, what's the first thing to form? What's the first organ to form? Go back to your embryology. You don't remember? The brain and the nerve system is the first thing to form, the notochord. What, at what week does it form in a fetus? Three weeks. A fetus is three weeks old and the first thing that is formed is the notochord and then the brain and everything starts to attach itself to the brain. Now, if you ask most people outside of a chiropractic professional, what's the first organ to form? What do they say? What do you think they say? They're not going to say the brain. What's going to be the first thing that they're going to say? All right, you ask anybody, what's the most important organ in the whole body? What are they going to say? The heart. The heart. Very good. So they're going to say the heart's the most important. And it, certainly it is a critical factor, right? We need to have the heart working. Absolutely, we've got to have that working 100%. But what controls the heart is the nerve system. And was it the first thing formed? No. If you actually watch, um, there's some amazing uh, videos that I, I posted about it, this uh, in a podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, there's some amazing videos that show the beginning stages of an embryo forming from the first you know, couple of cells to a, a couple of you know, 100,000 cells. And the first thing you can see that forms is the brain and the, and the spinal cord. It starts like this, and then stuff starts to pop onto it. And it's, it's one of the first organs outside the brain to, uh, to get hooked up. But it's not the first. The first thing is the brain. And, that's, and the brain and the nerve system. And as, as Didi Palmer said here, which I think is so important, when the neuroskeleton is in normal position, it is a protector of the nerve system. But if it's not properly placed, as he calls it, then the neuroskeleton becomes a nerve disturber. 
a nerve disturber. So what's our function, according to D.D. Palmer in this small little tidbit, our function is to remove the disturbance to the nerve system. He doesn't mention to make someone feel better. He doesn't mention to make pain go away, right? What he mentions is we need to allow the neuroskeleton be properly placed so it is not a nerve disturber. And I think that's pretty clear, simple language. And that's what I really love about reading green books. Like we all talk about green books and stuff. Um, I've sent you guys some green books. I don't know if you guys received any of the PDF copies I sent to Adam. Hopefully he distribute uh, uh, some of those green books to you. If not, uh, Michael, let me know and I will send you the bigness of the fell within for you to distribute to all of your, your classmates. Uh, because I think you guys have got to get into the green books. You know, if you're not studying chiropractic philosophy, like our first question from before, if you're not studying chiropractic philosophy, you're really missing a big chunk of what it is that we're all about, right? And that's what really separates us from everybody else. What separates chiropractic from everybody else is chiropractors teach chiropractic, right? And to speak the tick, they call it talk the tick. To talk the tick is to talk the philosophy, you know? It's not to talk about how, you know, this nerve, when it's pinched, is going to cause this pain, right? Or, you know, we had someone come in the other day and said, I have a slipped disc. Like, discs don't slip, right? Someone else came in and said, my chiropractor explained to me, uh, my former chiropractor, when I was in another state, said, uh, I have a broken disc. And I'm like, I don't think your disc broke. Because if it broke, like in my opinion, if it broke, you probably would need, need a surgery, right? That would be like a, you know, a sequestered disc. That would be a broken disc. But this is the kind of terminology that people are using, but we need to be very specific about our terminology. So I think things like, you know, I'm not a back doctor, I'm a nerve system doctor. Uh, we will, you know, make the, the neuroskeleton function better. I think that's a far better use of terminology. So uh, I'm, I got to wrap it up. Believe it or not, the half hour has come and gone like this. Um, one, is there any other questions to anything I just talked about? Anybody have any comments or questions? Anybody? Great. Well, I had a fabulous time talking to you guys. Thank you so much, Logan. Um, I, I, like I said, I'm going to be uh, at, uh, in St. Louis at the Sheraton um, in July sometime. So I hope to see a lot of you guys there. If you guys really want to rock pediatrics, uh, ICPA is the way to check it out. Uh, so please uh, show up and check out my, the ChiroCast podcast that we put on. Uh, this is, was recorded, so it'll be up there on ChiroCast. Um, I'm, I'm approaching my 300th episode, which is totally crazy. I can't believe we've been doing this for 300 episodes. Um, but I, I love and appreciate anybody who loves and appreciates chiropractic philosophy. It was great talking to you guys. I'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great day. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Talk to you all soon.